you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy. We are starting our, our series through this letter this week. And the, the title of the sermon is A Foundation for Faithfulness. And really, it's, it's what we will be talking about as we read through and we study through this letter is thinking about uh, the Apostle Paul and what he wrote to his son in the faith. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Timothy. And now he calls, he, Paul's an example of faithfulness in his calling and ministry. And he calls Timothy to similar faithfulness in life and ministry. And I believe that God calls us to that same faithfulness in life and ministry. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to, we're going to read and, and talk about the first five verses of 2 Timothy verse 1. But I'm going to pray for us first, then we'll read, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Let's pray. God, we are uh, we're grateful that we can open up your word and we can see that you have revealed yourself to us. God, your, uh, your will for the world, God, the, the work that you're doing, God, how you've called us to be a part of it. God, I pray you would speak to us about these things this morning. God, we, we, we give ourselves to you. Um, again, I pray that our hearts would be turned towards you. I pray that your spirit would work. and God, teach us your word. Uh, encourage us. Uh, spur us on. God, I pray you'd change us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verses 1 through 5 say this, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. So here we've got a letter from the Apostle Paul to his son, dearly loved son in the faith, Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus. Uh, this is Paul's last letter. And so he is instructing Timothy about life, about ministry, and about faithfulness. Some of the themes that we'll see over the next few weeks as we read through these verses is suffering, difficulty. Uh, Paul, is in, he's writing from prison. He's writing a letter to Timothy who is in a difficult situation in his church. And we're also going to see, though, not just suffering, but this idea of succession or, or passing the baton. In a sense, that's what Paul's doing here with this letter. He's passing the baton of gospel ministry 
to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, you take it and you run with it. And you pass it along to others. Perseverance. Multiplying disciples. These are all things that, that we will read about. But as we get here a little bit, I want to look at some context. So Paul, who wrote this letter, God's the author. Paul penned it. Paul has been faithfully serving in the way Jesus called him at his conversion. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 9. So, so Paul, was before he was a, he was a Pharisee, he was so zealous for the law that he was a persecutor of the church. We read about this in Acts chapter 7 and in Acts chapter 8. He was there when Stephen was martyred. He gave approval to that. And he was on his way in the beginning of Acts chapter 9 to Damascus to escalate the persecution of the church. He wanted to wipe this thing out, if at all possible. And something happens on the way. And the same thing that happened to Paul has happened to us if we're believers in Jesus. Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus and he changed Paul's life. And he gave Paul a new mission. Paul was blinded by the light that came down when Jesus appeared to him. He went to this man's house and and he stayed there for three days. He didn't eat, he didn't drink. And then God spoke, Jesus spoke to this man named Ananias. He was a believer in Damascus. And he said, I want you to go find Paul. I need you to tell him something. Ananias says, whoa, this is the guy that's persecuting the church. And Jesus says, go. And verse 15 says this. In Acts chapter 9. About Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And then notice part of Paul's job description. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So for over 30 years, Paul gave everything he had to take the gospel of Jesus to places where it had never been before, to Gentiles, to kings, He went to Israelites. Now, Paul is passing this work off to his friend and co-worker in the gospel mission, Timothy. Timothy's been working with Paul for about 15 years at this time. Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, a church that Paul started. On Paul's first missionary journey, you can read about this in Acts chapter 14, verse 8. We see that Paul went through a little town called Lystra. And he stopped there and he shared the gospel with people there. And there were believers in the town of Lystra. Timothy's from Lystra. Timothy's family's from Lystra. Because we see in Acts chapter 16, when Paul is going back on his second missionary journey, he travels back through the town of Lystra, and he stops and he picks up this young man, Timothy. He has heard the good testimony about Timothy's character and growth in the faith, and he decides to take Timothy with him on that second missionary journey. And from there on, Paul and Timothy worked together in gospel ministry for well over a decade, almost two. It's possible that Paul led Timothy to faith on that first journey. He calls him his beloved son here, we read in verse 2. We know that there were believers there that would have discipled Timothy up in the faith. And as Timothy's growing, 
God's calling him out on ministry. Now, at the end of Paul's ministry, he's writing a letter to his beloved son in the faith. Paul is in a Roman prison cell. He's awaiting his execution. A prisoner now, he would be a martyr soon. Surely he's wondering what would happen to this gospel ministry when he's dead and gone. The evil emperor Nero was bent on destroying Christianity. And, and from a human perspective, he, he could have come close. And as Paul contemplates the future of the faith that he would soon give his life for, he writes to Timothy one last time. In doing so, he passes the baton of ministry to this faithful pastor. Timothy must continue to do battle for the truth. He reminds Timothy that the precious gospel of Jesus Christ has been committed to him. He must preach it and teach it. He must take responsibility for its accurate transmission to the generations yet to come. The church today desperately needs to pay attention to the message of this letter. A new generation of Timothys is needed who will not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. A new generation who will guard the good deposit and preach the word in season and out of season who will be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and who will suffer as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Men and women who will flee worldly passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord. We don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And his... His church will continue to grow. His kingdom will continue to grow until he does. And he's calling us, men and women, to be a part of that. And he's calling us to see the next generation raised up so that they can go out and be a part of it as well. In a lot of ways, I I feel like I have a front row seat to some of this work as I work with the North American Mission Board here in West Virginia. And I'm seeing churches that are raising up men and women teams of people who are going out and starting new churches in different places all over our state. Not just our state, but all over North America. Not just North America, all over the world. Guys, God is still doing that. And he's calling us to be a part of it. That's part of what we're doing next Saturday. We're going to go up and help this new church plant in Morgantown continue to get on their feet, continue to engage their community and continue to do the kingdom work that God has called them to. So let's look at these first five verses. What we're going to see here are three foundational truths to faithfulness in the midst of difficult times. So when we start doing gospel work, it's not going to be easy. When as believers in Christ, we decide we're going to swim against the current of our culture and this world, it's not going to be easy. It wasn't for Paul. It wasn't for Timothy. It won't be for us. But there's three foundational truths, I believe, to faithfulness that we can take hold of so that we can do this work that God's called us to, even in difficult times. And the first truth is this. Salvation through Jesus is the cornerstone to a faithful life. Salvation through Jesus is the cornerstone to a faithful life. Notice in verse 1, when Paul says he's an apostle, 
of Christ Jesus by God's will. And then notice what he says here. For the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Paul did what he did because of who Jesus was. He did what he did because Jesus had saved him and changed him and it called him to go to others. Paul understood God has given us new life in Christ Jesus and we are called to live for his glory. Paul does what he does for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. It's appropriate that as the apostle stares down imminent death, that he is thinking about eternal life in Christ. The Bible tells us a lot about how Jesus came to give us new life. If you'll go down just a few verses to verse 9 here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says this, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We're going to look at Ephesians 2 here in a minute, Philippians chapter 2. God has saved us. He's called us to serve. He knew he was going to do this before the beginning of time. John 14, 6, the life that Jesus comes to give. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John, in in the first chapter of the gospel, speaks of Jesus being the creator of life. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, this is interesting. As we think about salvation through Jesus, and he gives us life. A mom shared this testimony with me not long ago. Her two-year-old daughter ran up to her and said, Jesus lives in my heart. And the mom says, how do you know? And she says, I can hear it beating. Now you think about that, that's profound. Who is the one that gave life to that little girl and helped her heart beat? It's Jesus. Who is the one that can give her eternal life so that she will live forever with him? That's Jesus. 1 John chapter 5 says this about the life that Jesus gives us. And this is the testimony that as believers we have. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Paul was not worried about his death because he knew that in Christ he had life. Paul had been changed. Paul was dead in his sins, just like all of us. Before we put our faith in Jesus, we were dead in sin and trespasses. The Bible's very clear on that. And when we look around the world and we think about our own lives before Jesus, pre-Jesus, it's very clear. Dead in sin and trespass. No hope of being reconciled with the God who created us and loves us. Except for the fact that Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, came down and paid the penalty for our sin... So that he was, he was punished so that we didn't have to be. 
He took the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven and reconciled back to the Father. So when the Bible speaks of life in Christ, it speaks of the gospel or being born again, the good news of Jesus. That's what it's talking about. God raises us up from the dead, just like he did his son Jesus. When he raised him up from the dead, God raises us up from the dead. He gives us new life. He fills us with his spirit. He calls us to be his children. Paul's life in ministry is meaningless without the work that Jesus did in Paul's life. Timothy's life in ministry, it's meaningless without Jesus. It's the same for us, guys, as we serve, as we think about what God's calling us to and how he's placed us here in cross lines. He's put us, he's gifted us to serve. The, the place where we start is we remember that we have life in Christ and he gives us purpose and meaning to help us live our life. If that's something you've not done, maybe it's something you're wrestling with. I don't, maybe you would say from 1 John 5 where he says, we can know that we have eternal life. You think, I don't know if I have eternal life. You, you can know today that Jesus paid the penalty. And when you confess Jesus, you believe in your heart, God saves us. If that's something that you're wrestling with or struggling with, I would love to talk with you after the service. There's people in here that would love to talk with you about that. Do you have this life? Do you have this assurance? Do you, like Paul and Timothy, have this purpose and direction? Having been saved by Jesus, having his life inside of me, do I have purpose and direction now to serve him? Salvation through Jesus is the cornerstone to a faithful life. Number two is this. Calling and gifting from God point us toward faithful service. Calling and gifting from God point us toward faithful service. Another way to say that, God has gifted us, having been saved, God has gifted us to serve the mission of the church in various ways. Notice what Paul says again in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. So we know that in the early church, the early disciples whom Jesus called, who were with him every day, they saw him, they heard him, they interacted with him. He called them to be his apostles, his sent out ones. We Sometimes in theological terms, we'd say that's the capital A apostle. Those are the ones that were with Jesus, knew him personally, who were the ones that began the work of seeing the church founded in the book of Acts. Well, Paul refers to himself as an apostle. He says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Again, Paul, God called Paul out of one way of life, a Pharisee who was persecuting the church, and he called him into a different way of life. He gifted Paul to serve the church by taking the gospel cross-culturally to the Gentiles. And guys, we have been blessed by the work that Paul started, by the work that God started through Paul. Paul's second missionary journey, he goes, he leaves Asia and goes into Europe. We've talked about this before. Europe the gospel goes from there, and it begins to move all over the world. Notice Paul says here that his calling was by the will of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 through 11, Paul writes about this calling and this commissioning that he has to the gospel. And this is what he says. He says, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he, speaking of Jesus, also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So I'll say this real quick. Paul is not making an I am statement here like God does, like Jesus, the son of God does. What Paul is saying is, I did not deserve to be an apostle. I was a persecutor of the church. I was dead in my sin. I was an enemy of God. But God gave me new life and called me to new service. And because of the grace of God in my life, I'm able to go do this. Notice there what he says too at the end of that section in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, his grace toward me was not in vain. When Paul had this new life and this calling, he pursued it. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Real quick, I I think about, okay, well, Paul had a radical conversion, right? Timothy, this young man, he interacted with Paul, the man who had a radical conversion. So is God really calling us to similar work that he called Paul to? Is, Is he really, is this meaningful for us? Look at Philippians 2. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13. I think it will help us understand that calling and gifting from God point us toward faithful service. The first part of Philippians 2 is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. It speaks about Jesus' humility, how he emptied himself and came down. He became a servant. He went to the cross. He died in our place. And God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. And then look at verse 12. Therefore, guys, when Jesus is Lord and we are saved and we're called to be his people. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God saves us and he calls us to work out that salvation. He calls us to live with purpose according to his will. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 say a very very similar thing. It says this, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. So none of us are saying the service that we give, the work that we do in gospel ministry saves us in any way. It doesn't. We're saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. We're not saved, verse 9, from works so that nobody can boast. But look at verse 10, Ephesians 2. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Here's what these passages are saying. God saved us, and he knew he was going to call us to serve him ahead of time. Before we ever became believers, God knew the plan that he had. Before Paul was ever converted, God knew the plan that he had for Paul. Same with Timothy. Same with us. We are called to serve. We're gifted to serve. Paul says he served by God's will. You ever find yourself asking the question, well, if I knew what God's will for me was, then I would do it. We know better about ourselves than that, don't we? Um, sometimes we do. Sometimes Here's Romans 12, 1 through 2 speaks to this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So we offer ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to him. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we submit ourselves to God and we allow his spirit to transform our minds, then we're able to discern, God, what is your will? And as I'm submitting, as I'm being transformed, I'm following him and serving. The origin of Paul's calling is the will of God. The object of his call is communicating the gospel of Jesus through purposeful everyday mission. And I believe with all my heart, God's called us to the same thing. How am I communicating to God, the gospel to those people where I live, work, and play? How am I submitting myself to him, being transformed and changed, and living out the calling through the ways that he's gifted me so that I can serve him in the world where he's put me? God has gifted you and called you to work in his church. He, he's done that for all of us. He's called us to be a part of his kingdom work. He's even given us, I, I believe this with all my heart too, he's given us convictions and, and areas where we know, God, you're calling me to be a part of that work. Have you ever seen something and, or, or you've heard somebody sharing about something that God's doing in your heart? You're thinking, I really want to be a part of what God's doing over there. It sounds simple. But Bible fellowship classes. Guys, God is at work in our Bible fellowship classes. People are being discipled in the faith, growing, being equipped, so that we can go out into the world and engage like God has called us to. It really does start here. What are different ways we can serve here at our church, the children's ministry? I, I'm telling you guys, God is at work at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. We, we were looking at the numbers. The baby's room downstairs is getting ready to double in size. Um, there is room for service in the children's ministry. And this is not an advertisement. Please don't hear that. I, I'm saying this because God has placed us in this church so that we can serve. The women's ministry. God is discipling ladies through the women's ministry. The men's ministry. 
God's discipling men, husbands, dads in the faith so that they can impact their homes just like moms. We're going to talk about moms and grandmoms here in a minute. What about just being on mission? We're we're engaging outside the walls of the church. God's called us to be a part of this. You may say, well, I'm just not sure how God has gifted me spiritually. I'm not sure how he would have me serve. Maybe I need to take a spiritual gift assessment. I would say no. Here's what I would say. Just start serving. Find a place to plug in. See if it's a good fit. If it is, stay there. Pursue it. Get some other people to come and serve with you. If you start serving in an area and you find out, wow, that's not a great fit, start serving in another area and find that place that fits. It's okay to try stuff and see if it's a good fit. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of something. Tofu. So when I first moved to East Asia, I had never eaten tofu before, right? And I sit down at the table, and there's this stuff in front of me. Anybody struggle with texture? Food? Okay. Um, Well, you know what? I tried it. And it was okay. Like, I lo- I'd like tofu. That's a bad analogy, I know. But here's the point. You need to plug in. We need to try different ways to serve. God, I don't know if I can do that because I never tried to do that. I don't know if I can teach a Bible fellowship class. I don't know if I can help with a discipleship class. I don't know if I could be a part of the Reach 360 ministry that goes out. And, and tells folks about our church, I don't know, I never tried. Find somebody and try. Are you submitting yourself and your life to God? How do you see him changing you and directing you into different ministries? Another way to, to ask that is this, are you open to God using you in his service however he sees fit? For example, am I willing to give God my life as a blank check and say, God, you use it however you want to. I will go and share the gospel with that person at work. I I will, maybe God's saying, I will go to the other side of the world and share the gospel with an unreached people group. Blank check people. I think of a guy named Kevin when I was in college. Kevin was a custodian in the dorm room, in the dorm building where I lived. And I met him, and he began to share with me that he was a believer in Jesus. He was actually trying to share the gospel with me. And and we began to talk. And Kevin had given his life to Jesus as a blank check. He said, I'll do whatever Jesus calls me to do. And he began to share names of people on the hallway and different floors that he was sharing the gospel with. He talked about church and simple service at the church that God had called him to. Kevin was a guy that gave his life as a blank check. I think of a friend named Jason. Grew up in West Virginia, truck driver, good career, good family, but something happened. Similar to Paul in Acts chapter 9. His wife got saved. She began to pray for him. She began to attend a church. Others began to pray for him. He knew this. He was a little bit annoyed by it. One day, he's driving his truck. He stopped to get fuel. He pays at the cash register, and the lady there says three words to him, God bless you. 
he walked out the door and began to weep. God convicted him. Now, that's a great story. Here's the thing about that story. It's just the beginning of the story. When we get saved, guys, that's just the beginning of the story. God calls us then to serve from that. Jason plugged into his local church. He began serving in his Sunday school class. He began helping teach in his Sunday school class. He began helping lead out and do other things in that local church. Almost 20 years later, he's pastoring a church in West Virginia today. That's what God does when we give our life to him, when we understand that he's called us and gifted us, and he's pointing us toward faithful service, just like Paul, just like Timothy, just like these brothers and sisters that we see around us all the time. So we're saved through Jesus. That's the beginning of the life that we have in faithfulness. We're called and we're gifted to serve. The third point is this. Brothers and sisters in Christ encourage one another to multiply disciples from one generation to the next. Now, I know that's a mouthful. I'll say it again. Brothers and sisters in Christ encourage one another to multiply disciples from one generation to the next. Look at verses 2 through 5 here. Paul says to Timothy, my dearly loved son. Notice the relationship that these two had. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice God's work in Timothy's life, the grace, the mercy, the peace. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall, listen to this, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced is in you also. Notice the very personal and relational nature of these verses. Timothy, a dearly loved son in the faith. Paul thanks God for him in his prayers night and day. It says there are four different references, four different references to Timothy. Uh, how Paul remembers him. He thinks about him. He remembers his tears. We're not sure of the circumstances of the tears, but we are sure of the love and affection that are behind them. He says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul recalls Timothy's sincere faith. Notice here the spiritual influences in Timothy's life. I love verse 5. Parents and grandparents, a mother and a grandmother who are sharing the gospel, who are discipling up this child in the faith. The grandmother, Lois, the mother, Eunice, they had faith. They pass it along to Timothy. About two months ago, there was a, a lady who's a grandmother. She, we were talking on the phone about some work at church. I said, is there anything I can pray for? We we're about to get off the phone. I said, is there anything I can pray for? She said, pray for my grandson. She told me his name. I said, I'll do it. So I started praying for him. About two weeks ago, I was talking to this same lady on the phone, and she said, my grandson has put his faith in Jesus and become a believer. Guys, God is still doing the things that we read about in 2 Timothy. Parents and grandparents sharing the faith and discipling their kids up in the faith. Also, 
We've got godly friends and mentors in Timothy's life who are discipling him and who are helping him grow in his faith, Paul being one of those. Paul references the ancestors. Here, I was thinking about this. Guys, the faith that we have in Jesus didn't just start here over these last few years at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. For thousands and thousands of years, God has been working out his plan, beginning with the forefathers, the promises to Abraham, the promises to Moses, to David, the promises fulfilled in Jesus. Notice, too, you've got the Holy Spirit at work in Timothy's life. In verse 6, Paul says, Therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. There's also Timothy's personal spiritual discipline to commit himself to this and to grow. God has called us to be a part of a work that has generational growth. Generational change through a legacy of multiplying disciples. I, sometimes I'll hear, I read articles about sports and athletes, and they'll get these huge contracts, and I've heard them say, wow, this is going to help my family for generations. They're talking about the money. One of these days, that will be gone. But there is something that we can pass down from generation to generation to generation for eternity, and that's faith in Jesus. This is actually the New Testament model. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations of believers, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others. We've talked about that too. I wonder, wouldn't it be awesome if we could look in a Bible fellowship class and see four generations of believers in a Bible fellowship class? God's calling us to multiply disciples. Am I cultivating a life of devotion to God and his people that results in discipleship? A simple question, who's discipling me and who am I discipling? Do I have somebody that's helping me grow in the faith and encouraging me, spurring me on? Are we being intentional about that relationship? And am I doing that with somebody else? Intentionally helping spur them on, encourage them in the faith. I think about men in my own life. Larry. When I was in college, I became a believer. Larry began to disciple me. And one day, I remember he said, let's go out on campus, UNC Charlotte. And we went out and he said, see that guy sitting over there? We're going to go share the gospel with him. I was terrified. I've thought about Larry in the years since then. When God, by his grace, called us to go to the other side of the world to tell people about Jesus, I was thinking about Larry's impact. And the first time I shared the gospel with anybody, I was sitting next to a guy named Larry. And now I'm sitting in a village in East Asia. Guys, we have, when we are involved in multiplying disciples... We have no idea what the work that God will do through that. God blesses us. God blesses others. And his work goes on and on all over the world. I'll say this about discipleship, multiplying disciples, and we're going to wrap up. Discipleship happens best in small groups. So proclaiming, preaching the word publicly, corporately, 
God calls us to do that. But when we dig into discipleship in a small group with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're able to to get to know one another more intimately, like Paul and Timothy, the one that he dearly loved, the one that that cried when he couldn't see him, the one that upon seeing him again would fill him with joy. When we have those kinds of relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, small group, and we're encouraging, spurring one another on in the faith, we're, we're holding each other accountable. We're asking each other difficult questions. We're praying for one another. We're there for each other. That's when discipleship happens. That's when we're really growing in our faith. And I believe that's when we see these generation after generation of disciple who's being raised up and sent out. That's what God's calling us to. In conclusion, I would say this. Life in Christ establishes us for a life of faithfulness no matter the circumstances. Life in Christ establishes us for a life of faithfulness no matter the circumstances. We're called to live faithful life to our Savior. We want to be faithful in service through the church. Faithfulness to our families. Faithful to be a witness for Jesus wherever it is that we live, work, and play. This is also not, please don't hear this as, hey, try harder, do better. Get out there and see if you can uh, add a little bit to your salvation. This is not it at all. It's clear. There's nothing that we can do to add. Jesus has accomplished it for us. It's us finding our place in his kingdom work and allowing him to make a difference in the world through us. God is working in your life according to his good purpose. Follow him in that. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word. God, we are grateful for the testimony of your people who have lived faithful lives for thousands of years. God, how you empower us. God, by saving us and filling us with your spirit. God, you've called us and gifted us to serve God, I pray that you would help us. God, that we would work out this salvation that you've given to us with fear and trembling. God, we would find that good purpose that you've set us toward. And God, we would serve in it. God, I pray for Cross Lanes Baptist Church. Help us to be a church that serves you well. God, I pray that we would be found faithful. God, I pray that we would be people who know how we're gifted and we go out and use those gifts. God, I pray that it would happen here. I pray that it would happen across our state. God, even across our country. And God, that you would use us however you would, that the gospel would go even to the ends of the earth. God, if you have decisions for us to make. I pray we would make them. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.